Welcome to Liberty's Talk, the podcast of Liberty's Journal. I'm Celeste Marcus, managing editor of Liberty's and the host of this podcast on which we talk with our writers and the larger Liberty's circle about whatever is on our minds. On this episode of Liberty's Talk, I am joined by Agnes Callard, a professor of philosophy at the University of Chicago. And she and I discuss scenes from a marriage, which was a mini-series, it's six episodes, that was released by Ingmar Bergman in 1973. And we use scenes to discuss a host of issues that I found fascinating, regardless of whether or not you've seen the series. Uh, I believe that this conversation will be comprehensible to you. We talk about things like whether or not you have to be honest to the person you're in a relationship with, whether you actually have an imper- a moral imperative not to be honest all of the time, Um, What is loneliness? Is loneliness inevitable? Uh, Is rage uh, a a good thing? Is rage something that you should be capable of with people that you love? These are the sort of themes that we were considering, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hello, Agnes. Thank you for joining me again on Liberty's Talk. I think this is the, the third time. I think it is. I trust you. Thank you for having me. Always, always a pleasure. Um, All right. So the subject of this podcast is Scenes from a Marriage, the the series by Ingmar Bergman that came out in 1973. Um, I want this to be accessible for people who haven't seen it and also for various reasons, but mostly because it's so long. It's really hard for even people who have seen it to remember all of the essential bits. So what... At least I find that watching rewatching it for this episode, there were like really important things that I'd completely forgotten. I don't know if you found that also. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Totally. Um, all right. So I thought it would just be like a good exercise to summarize it. I thought maybe we could both try to do that because I think that my impression is that you and I um, conceive of it very differently. So mm. at least just judging from... I, I like I like skimmed your New Yorker essay. Um, I guess I should also say that you wrote an essay about this movie, about this series. So just like looking over that, it struck me that um, it wasn't that like I disagreed with you about things. I think I just, my impression was that I focused on different aspects of the series. So um, yeah, I guess this is a little bit tough, but could you give your version of like just what this thing is about? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll just first say that like the basic plot is that um, it's sort of six episodes in the life of a married couple. In the first two episodes, their marriage is presented initially as sort of very happy, indeed so perfect that there, a magazine article is being written on how perfect their marriage is. But by the end of the first episode, you start to see like cracks in the facade. The second episode, you see the couple, Marianne and Johan, sort of not connecting in a variety of ways. And then at the end of the second episode, it turns out their sex life is not going well. In the third episode, I feel like that's where things really get going. Um, Johan reveals he's he's been having an affair and he's going to leave Marianne for this woman, this young woman, like 23-year-old woman, Paula. Uh, and the whole rest of the series is about um, their life as split up from one another. <clears throat> and uh, 
in the fourth episode, uh, they've split up for a while, like a couple of year, a year maybe or something. I can't remember exactly, but Johan goes and visits Marianne, uh, and they have dinner together and they're sort of, um, uh, they sort of try, they sort of try to share with one another and fail in some ways, but succeed more than they have in the past. The fifth episode is the most dramatic one, and it is what that leads up at the end of the episode, they sign the divorce papers. And then in the sixth episode, now they're divorced, uh, and they're married to different people, and they cheat on their new spouses uh, with each other. They have been doing so for some time. And so you see them uh, take this little vacation to a cottage together. Um, uh, when both of their spouses happen to be out of town. So that, I take is what happens in the sixth episode. Do they sleep together? I mean, do they have do they have sex in the sixth episode? We never find out. Uh, I, I, I took it to be assumed that the answer was yes. They have sex in the fifth episode. Yeah. <laughs> very dramatic. It's very memorable. <laughs> um, that's the only, the fifth episode is the only time we see them have sex. Um, okay. So I think, I guess the way that I describe it when I describe it, when I was describing it to people like preparing for this episode, um, was much more like about, about the two characters, both of whom I, I found just incredibly frustrating. Um, Mm. and I think that was kind of what I was focusing on while I was rewatching it was just like how, um, unpleasant. I thought the two characters were, but like, and then the, the, I guess the, the the arc for me was kind of like how they become how like that unpleasantness gets, um, like diagnosed or untangled or how like why how I interpret it changed. So in the beginning, um, I thought of Johan as like incredibly self-absorbed and you know kind of like 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 a stereotype of um an intellectual snob um, a man who is an intellectual snob um and of mariana is kind of like this incredibly meek um insecure woman who is just like tending to her man uh, and i think you're supposed to think of her that way like the, the the first scene is is really you're supposed to come away just feeling like oh my god this is just so frustrating how um how just completely dominated by him she is and she wants to be uh and then like throughout the series it becomes more complicated he's it's not that it's not that those things aren't true it's just that like she becomes, I I thought of her as mm, much more intentional in the way that she was allowing him to treat her. Um, and I thought of him as like the act that he was putting on was something that we were supposed to think he was forced to put on because society had like convinced him that he was supposed to act in this way. Um, so like the, the, the series is as much about the two of them individually as it is about their marriage. At least that's how I think of it. I mean, do you, um, do you like them any more or less, uh, at the end than at the beginning? 
I guess I, I finally decided by the end that my dislike of them was a really uncharitable way to watch it. And so I tried to not, not allow that part of like the judgmental part of me to be the part that was like the lens through which I was primarily watching the series because, um, I think, I think maybe any window into a relationship that is as intimate as theirs is, is going to reveal elements of the two parties that are really unattractive. I think the thing that's hard about scenes is that it shows us truths about marriage and about gender roles that we don't want to see. And like, I think that the truths that it shows us about Johan and Marianne are like, just that's still how most like couples are actually, though maybe it gets more covered over. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like really unpleasant to just have to look at it. And what we want from movies is the fantasy of like, you know, the liberated woman, the supportive man, whatever. And many movies accommodate us in that way and scenes doesn't. It just tells us the truth instead. Mm. I, but I don't think it means to present, like I think Johan is supposed to be sort of selfish and arrogant. And then Marianne is supposed to be sort of needy um, mm. and uh, uh, passive aggressive. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think those are presented sort of as gender roles for them. Yeah, I, I mean that's certain. That's certainly true. They're def- It's definitely, it's definitely an element in the in the series that this is this is the way that they were taught to behave. And you know, Bergman was. Bergman did believe that we were we we human beings as adults are products of our childhood and, and to a large extent more than we would like to believe. Um, so I think that that's true. I just think that it's about much more than marriage. I mean, my my impression this time watching it was that it's about intimacy generally, or at least I mean, whatever it's about. Like I think I think that it's. I think it is a true portrait of two people or a very honest portrayal of two people. And you can, you can focus on whichever elements of that you want to. But the thing that I, the thing that I kept thinking about this time around was that, um, the, the aspects that the aspects about being close to other people that it reveals is true of all close relationships, not just of marriage. Um, so like, for example, one of the themes that is central, I think, to the series is just the idea that um, well, I guess the way that I think about it is like purity versus forgiveness, because mm. the two of them have like you think you think of Marianne throughout the throughout the series is referred to as the one who is unforgiving like she has these incredibly unbearably high standards and that's mm-hmm. that's like repeated before we know that um i think johan says it in the first episode and she just kind of accepts that this is true about herself but then it kind of gets repeated over and over again she just has this unbearable um conception of how two people should be together she's completely like she wants him to be perfect she wants the two of them to be perfect and what's interesting about that is I think it's true and it's true in some ways and not true in others she was prepared to smother the parts of herself that were unhappy in service to 
their family. And he, when he, like, she, she says to him at a certain point, she's like, I, I can't believe that you thought that you were the only one who was unhappy. Did you really think that I was not unhappy? Even when, you know, we were say, we were saying over and over again, we had such a perfect marriage. Like we were, that we were compare, comparing us to like our friends who hate each other, who are married. We looked so perfect. And I said that, um, that even then I knew that it wasn't true. Or even then I was very unhappy. Um, but she was prepared to, um, shut down the part of herself that was miserable, whereas Johan can't do that. And so in a sense, he's the one who is less forgiving than she is. Hmm. I guess I didn't, um, I didn't see it as so much a question of forgiveness. Like in a way they seem, one of the things that strikes me most about scenes is how much they say horrible things to each other and then seem fine with it. Yeah. Like, it's just very, like they say they hate each other like several times. Uh, yeah. They, 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 they don't exactly, I don't so much get the feeling they hold grudges. They're both hypersensitive to the other person's being sarcastic. Mm -hmm. It's like strictly forbidden to be sarcastic. Like the, um, uh, I was so struck this time around. So I feel like the thing really gets going with Paula, with the Paula episode, and that um, Johan and Marianne are really not even talking to each other until the Paula episode. And, you know, he has just told her, like, yeah, uh, I've been seeing this woman behind your back, and I'm leaving you for her, maybe forever. I'm not really going to give you any more explanation. You have no say in the matter. Completely just like destroying her life with like a sentence, right? out of nowhere. And when she responds with the slightest like sarcasm about it, yeah. he's like, I'm trying to talk to you. I'm trying to tell you the truth. Don't be sarcastic. And she totally takes it. And I think he's totally right. Mm. Um, what do you mean? Uh, he's totally right. He's right. That it's unacceptable for her to respond sarcastically. That is, he's finally speaking truthfully to her and she, it's not allowed for her to do that. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Okay. Like sarcasm was a tool for her to deflect the like the truth of what he was saying. It was like a way of getting exactly. out of honesty. Yeah. Exactly. But it's it's like so rare that they would talk that way to one another that even that like it shows up there in that episode. And I think that they, that there's, um, they don't, I don't see so many like grudges or <laughs> what I just see is two people who don't talk to each other really. Like, it, you know, I think you're really right that it's about intimacy more generally and not just about marriage. And like, you know, they, they, they have this thing where they're like this other couple, they don't really connect. They don't speak the same language. They have to translate everything into a common language. Unlike us. This is Marianne, <laughs> yeah. That's a Marianne. Right. <sighs> and <laughs> she's like, I think we speak the same language. And Johan's like, Oh, I think it's the money. Yeah. He's that's like, you're like, overthinking it. <laughs> yeah. And but also it's another, it's like this moment where Marianne was sort of seeking like a deeper connection with Johan, but he was like not on the same page at that moment. <laughs> and what saw in like the whole first two episodes is they kept trading places as to like which one of them at a given moment was seeking deeper connection hmm. and which one of them was just like going on the surface or going on to the next thing or whatever and they could never coordinate it yeah <laughs> and so it was just like this series of failures to connect but i don't think any of i don't read any of them as like they're not connecting because she, you know, one of them will not forgive the other for something else. In fact, it seems like she'd forgive him for Paula, like <clears throat> way up through almost through episode five, like in episode five, she almost takes him back. Oh, I don't mean forgiveness. Uh, I don't mean forgiveness. Like, 
No, that's not what I'm, I didn't mean it like, okay, we'll have a formal apology and I'll behave as if this is untrue. I mean, like the relentless, steely, cold standard that a person who is living in another, living beside you has. Like, like I actually think that her, her forgiveness, her formal forgiveness of him is a way of not, it's a way of not allowing him to be human because it's like, you don't get to get out of this. You don't get to be weak. You don't get to tell me that you want an out from this marriage. This is your responsibility. And not just because we have two kids together, but because this is what's expected of us. And there is a kind of like relentless, unhuman um, purity that a person you love can have where you try to be honest with them. You try to be weak with them. Like, I think the reason that that that's why I think like Johan losing his temper for the first time with her isn't actually that's that's like i'm gonna say that's him being forgiving but what i mean is that's him trying really hard to be human with her he can't and like so that's another another theme that i think is central to the series that i kind of realized this and it was an epiphany for me is i think it's possible that you can only really lose your temper in a specific kind of way like become enraged with a person that you really love um and he's when he loses it with her and it's about Paula, but I think it's, I think, I mean, I think it's about much more than Paula. It's because he, he's decided at that point that he's no longer going to just wear the mask and lie to her. So it's actually symptomatic of the deep, this sounds kind of screw, screwy, but it's kind of, it's symptomatic of the love he has for her that he lo finally loses his temper. He's like, I can't, I can't, not with you. I'm not going to bullshit through it with you. Um, and he, yeah, yeah. you know. And he wants her to lose her temper, but she doesn't. And that's like, that's why he freaks out about the sarcasm. Cause it's like, Oh my God, take off this mask. I know you. Um, and so he tries, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever done this, I've done this. Um, have you ever, this is a personal question. You don't have to answer, but like, you know, you are perhaps familiar with the phenomenon of like really hurting somebody that you love because you want in, um, like authentic, true response from them. Anything true. You just want them, you want them to be real with you. Actually, I think this was the subject of the Night Porter conversation that we had. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, I, I've certainly done this. I don't quite think that's what Johan is. I think Marianne does that sort of thing all the time. Hmm. Um, I don't quite think that Johan is, I think you're, you're totally right that he's finding it intolerable that she won't be real with him. But I think, I don't think that he is trying to elicit some kind of emotional reaction from her there. Hmm, I do, uh, but okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I, I guess maybe it's something like trying to shake her into being real with him, but not necessarily, like, at least there's a form of, there's a, there's a mode of doing that inflicting pain where you want to see the pain because then it means they really love you or something. Right. And I think she, he just wants her to be straight with him. Okay. Do you think that, like, we don't we don't really see Marianne with any friends. We see Johan with friends. We see Johan really with like that one friend from work whose name I forget. Um, the woman. Yeah. Who he also sleeps with. And yeah. Then sort of dumps. And then he dumps her. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, do you I think mean, friend? Yeah, whatever like the one he's known the one who's like mean to him about his poetry um right I mean, we see her with her client right um, right although i mean i guess well the, the question that i was going to ask is do you think that we're supposed to deduce that 
every, like they're they're as fake with everyone as they are with each other ex- until they can't be anymore. And then I guess more broadly, do you think that all people live that way? I think that um, they are. There is this conceit that it would be with one another that they would be able to achieve any kind of intimacy, right? So mm-hmm. it's not exactly that they're fake. Like, it's like, suppose you, I don't know, you go to the post office and you say, oh, it's a nice day. Can I have some stamps? Here you go. Thank you. Was that fake? And in a way, it was not expected. To, it's like you never had an expectation that you would have some kind of like emotional union with that person. So it's not exactly fake when you don't, right? <laughs> um, That's true. And, but I, but I think, I mean, I think some of these confrontations with other or or whatever conversations do, like, peel back reality. The one, the one between Marianne and her mother in the final episode. Um, I think that was super interesting from the point of view of your hypothesis about. Bergman is saying this is the way they were taught to behave because we see that Marianne behaves very differently when something sort of similar happens in her marriage as to as her mother behaved when that happened in her marriage. Can you just recount that conversation for people yeah. who yeah. so Marianne so Marianne's father has just died and Marianne goes to visit her mother and she's basically like you know, how was your marriage? Did you love him? And her mom was basically, you know, we, we lived separate lives and like, he cheated on me and I let him have sex with me when he wanted to. I never, I never denied him because that was my wifely duty. Right. And, uh, and, and both, and we, we each kept our problems to ourselves and that's how we were taught to engage with one another. And there's almost this idea that gets floated that like, if only Johan and Marianne had been more restrained and more lived on separate islands and less aimed for communion with one another, they could have stayed married. Totally. Like, yeah. Like, 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 you know, Marianne's mother, if Marianne had thought that having sex with Johan was her wifely duty and never denied him and never tried to trade things for it. Like she actually did. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we hear that she, we hear. It's like a theme throughout the series that we get, we get told that she would withhold sex. She would like use sex as like a Pavlovian tool to get him to do the things that she wanted. And he accuses her of this. And she's like, of course I did that. Why would I not do that? Right. Right. And so it's like, we might describe Marianne as, you know, whatever submissive and unliberated and whatever, but relative to her mother, she's actually quite liberated. She's got a job. She's got a career. She won't, she doesn't see having sex as her duty. Um, uh, this is even before she, you know, has her p- liberation in through through the episodes in some way. Though she did, um, she did cheat on him like the year right. of their marriage. The beginning of the relationship. That's right. She cheated on him. Yeah. And so, so this is already some ways into women's liberation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's nineteen seventy three. You know, we look at it and we're like, we see that how far they have to come, but nonetheless, relative to the mother. And what's interesting is that, you know, she was raised by her mother, right? And yet she isn't the way her mother is. Um, well, I mean, I think she, so what I find, one of the things that I find fascinating about Marianne that I really didn't remember is the degree to which um, she permits herself what she needs in order to stay married. And that's like, 
One of the theme, another of the themes that I think is so fascinating and really difficult to figure out. Like I, I, I don't know what the right way is to think about this, and I don't know what Bergman wanted me to think the right way to think about this is. But like, the degree to which we owe our loved ones the truth, and it's a complicated question because, well, for for many reasons, but I think I think in certain cases we owe them not to tell them the truth. Sometimes, like you don't you don't deserve from your partner or from anybody um, to to like be forced to have complete access to all of your inner thoughts all of the time. Sometimes you have to choose not to tell them things either because, you know, like, like an easy example of this is if you are in a lot of pain, but your partner um, is in more pain or in like in, you are in an amount of manageable pain that you don't need to burden them and they couldn't handle it for whatever reason at a given moment. Like you perhaps have the responsibility not to tell them something and like not to share that with them. But another example that Marianne chose is she needed to have an affair the first year of their marriage. I'm not saying this is moral, although I think like according to her logic, it certainly was. in, In order for her to stay inside the marriage and be a mother to her children and the wife that Johan needed, she needed to lie to him and have an affair. And he never knew until she told him 20 years later. And like that, that's, that's not the will of um, a cowed, obsequious, meek woman, you know, which is so interesting. So she's, she's much more, I think, complicated um, than she gives us reason to believe, at least at the beginning. What do you think of that? Do you think that what I just said is true? I feel like you would think it's not true. So um, it's very striking how much lying they do, not just to each other, but then to their new spouses, right? Yeah. And I mean, Johan to Paula, and they're always, they're just like constantly lying to And they're so good at it. And they say they're not, that's another thing. They say things about themselves that aren't true as if they're true. And um, like, if it, if it was not subsequently revealed to us that it was completely untrue, we would have every reason to believe that it was true. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> um, they, they, they're very convincing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was talking about this, about the lying with Arnold, my husband, because we were watching this together. And <laughs> wow. he said this thing that I uh, was very struck by, which is like, you could think about in any intimate relationship, right? You have a set of interests to which that relationship speaks. And in marriage, it's a pretty large set of interests. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have financial interests in the marriage, you have interests in relation to your shared children, you have interest in relation to household duties, you have interest in relation to like, um, forms of comfort that you receive from your spouse and forms of help that you receive from the spouse. And you could think to yourself, I, I really don't ever have any direct incentive to tell them the truth. Yeah. That is, why wouldn't I always just say whatever would most conduce to that collective set of interests? It might happen to be the truth in many cases, right? Um, and he said that thought, like the thought, why should I ever say the truth except insofar as it accidentally conduces to my set of interests? He's like, that is loneliness. Mm. That thought is 
loneliness. Like when Johan says there's nothing but loneliness, it's absolute. It is that is that thought. Oh my God, I like, so disagree not, with that. The thought, like, why should I tell her something that maybe, you know, she can't handle right now because she's upset and I have to think about the effects of telling something? That too is a kind of loneliness. Totally. But I think that I think it first, I think it's I think it's different for every person. And I think that you if you define intimacy in such a way that it requires you to be given a certain amount of closeness or a certain amount of truth or whatever it is, then if if you aren't given those things, you will be lonely. But you don't have to define it in that way. Marianne doesn't define mm-hmm. it in that way. Johan decides that it's loneliness for him not to be able to be completely satisfied with Marianne or that it's loneliness for him to have to smother certain parts of himself. But he doesn't have to decide that. She doesn't decide that. She decides that what you can expect always from anyone, even the person that you love the most, is only a limited amount of access. And therefore, she's satisfied with the limited amount that she's given of him. It's interesting. I don't, Sorry. I don't, I wouldn't describe her as smothering herself. That doesn't seem accurate to me. Even in the beginning? Says, not at all. What she says in like episode four, um, when she talks about like what she's learned in therapy, yeah, she says, I realized I didn't know who I was. That's that true. Is, yeah. There, there wasn't some underlying self where she had a bunch of inclinations that she didn't allow herself to pursue. She never found out who she was. All she was was this mask. Mm, she says in episode six, she's like, if I had told the truth in 1955, it would have smashed our marriage to smithereens. I would have broken from my parents, sold our daughters and killed you. Um, so I th- oh right, so she, you know, but she doesn't say that she wanted to tell him either. I mean, so th- that's true. But, it, but like, I think again, like I think that there are there are moments when it's like if you look too closely at something, it disappears. There are moments when she thinks she doesn't know herself, and then there are moments when she knows she does. Just like there are moments when she knows that she loves him, and there are moments when she thinks she doesn't love anyone. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to like. If you decide that you don't know yourself at all, what you've decided is that there's a level of certainty that you'd really like to have that you don't have. But I don't think that's the same as having no idea who you are. I, I mean, it's interesting. There is something right in your thought. <laughs> like, Thank you. Marianne's high standards show up in a lot of different places, and that's one of them, right? Yeah. Her standard for what it would be to know herself is obviously so high that she can say of herself, I don't know myself at all. Or later in, you know, her standard for what love is is so high that she's never loved anyone and no one's ever loved her. Yeah. And, but I, but I, I guess I think I don't, I don't, um, I don't begrudge Marianne that. That is, I think that in some way, that's Marianne's idealism and it's her driving force. Mm. Like that, that she dreams of something. She's kind of a romantic, right? She wants things to be perfect in a certain way. And like, mm-hmm. you could say that that's inhuman or you could also say that that's like the, the, the engine in her. I think it's both. I mean, I think idealism is always, is always unforgiving. It can always be monstrous. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's just curious to me that Johan is like, he's so he, he he i don't know if he reckons more easily with the limitations of humanity or he doesn't reckon with them but he's more aware of them she'll say things sometimes like she'll say things like i'm so happy i'm so happy with myself i'm so i don't remember the exact language but she makes this for you she'll say so many times what did she say she says she has such tenderness for you huh she and, certainly and says you- that yeah but I mean, like, you know, when she makes those statements, like, 
I feel great. I feel really good. And I'm, I'm, I feel like I could, I don't remember if it's like take over the world or something. It's not that cheesy, but it's like this, this like pronouncement of extreme satisfaction with reality. And I was just, I just kept thinking like, I've never felt that way. It felt like, it felt like, um, it felt like an unfair thing <laughs> to, to, for her to want of herself. Um, like she was being, like she was forcing herself to be optimistic. Um, yeah. Like she was definitely, I guess yeah. she definitely has as high standards or higher standards for herself than she has for, you know, as she has for Johan or anybody else. Yeah. But I think that's right. That's interesting that her idealism manifests as a kind of delusion sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's strange to me that given, you know, in the beginning, I wondered again, and I wondered the first time if what Johan said was true when he accuses her, he he says that he's leaving and he guesses that her first fear is that she'll be humiliated socially. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it makes sense. I've like, I've never had that thought before. Um, I mean, I've gone through a breakup and like wondered I guess eventually I had to wonder what people who like what it would be like to explain to all of the people who knew that I had been in a relationship that I no longer was in one. Um, But it's not like that was my first thought. I guess it makes sense that if a person is going through a divorce, it would like the the social opprobrium would be a concern at some point. But it kind of it's such an accusation to accuse a person of having that be their first thought. Do you remember that? It's interesting. It was interesting to me because I, I think extremely naively when I was like heading into a divorce, it did not literally did not occur to me to think about how anyone else would think about it. And it was a complete and total disaster. And like everything Mm -hmm. that he says that like she would be worried about, like she'd be right to worry about it. Like, you know, like all of our friendships were like uh, either had to either got destroyed or had to be reconce- reconstructed. Mm. And it, it created this like tidal wave of shock through everyone who knew us. And I was so I was like, why do you all care so much? You know? <laughs> but it is, it is this huge social event. A divorce is this massive social event for everyone who knows the couple, even people who don't know them that well. Mm. And so it may be that if, if Marianne does have that thought, like, it's not so, uh, like, I guess we want, you know, we want her to be like more romantic and stuff and be like, uh, no, it's that I'm losing you. But like, it's true that that will happen. Totally. It's just that, it's just that like, those are the two, I don't think, I don't think it's, I don't think it's um like crazy that that would be a thought. I think it's, it's, certainly an accusation of his that that's her only thought you remember like yeah yeah so so here's how i think about it like and she was right he told all of their friends i mean that's horrible (laughs) he told them that's right (coughs) wait let's just say for people who haven't seen it like the the, at the end of the third episode when he tells her that then he tells her that he is leaving her she calls a mutual friend of theirs to try a friend of sorry like someone who's primarily friends with Johan. She's speaking to the the, the the man in the in the couple that she calls. She's speaking to the husband, and she's trying to convince this man on the phone to tell Johan not to leave her. And the man already knew that Johan was having this affair with 
Paula and he tells her that lots of people know. So Johan has told many of their friends. She's already like the humiliation that we're supposed to think she is terrified of has all, she's already in the middle of it. Like she's, she says we had dinner together and you didn't tell me like, she's just imagining, you know, you can imagine the shame and horror that she's feeling in that, in that moment. Yeah. And that's why I think the Johan thing was total bullshit. Cause he thought of their friends first too. And he got ahead of the game and talked to all the friends to get them on his side beforehand. And then he's like upset at her. Cause he's like, Oh, you're thinking of the friends. How, how dare you? Oh right? my God. That makes it worse. I hadn't thought of that. That's true. <clears throat> so I like something that, I mean, struck me this time around. I think I, said it but it struck me so much I want to say it again which is just that like it's like and it's part of why I almost feel like it makes sense that there's some way in which Marianne isn't so upset in the Paula episode isn't as upset as you I mean she's in shock yeah but there's also just this way in which they're t- they're finally talking to each other there's this relief in that episode mm-hmm. of like watching it I'm like oh finally and it was like they had to have this horrible thing happen for them, like they, if they could have gone on like episodes one and two, and it would have just been like Marianne's mother or like that woman who's her client, right? And it's the Paula thing is what like enables them to actually communicate. And Yoan can say things to her like, you know, we've been living in a bubble, and uh, uh, they they, they can like t- actually talk to each other. And it's very shocking to me to think about the fact that maybe catastrophe is what you need in order to connect to someone. Yeah. Well, okay. So two things. One, the thing that he says in that, in that scene, the thing that is like the hardest thing for me to hear in the whole series is that she disgusts him, that, that like her skin disgusts him. He's fed up with her. And it's just, it's so uh, horrible. It's horrible. It's like, when it, the thing that you would most dread from the person you love is that they would be sickened by you because it's not something that you did that that you could change it's not like it's not like you're it's not like a bad behavior that you could remedy it's your whole person just being around you he says that he's disgusted by her by like physical presence it's not something that she has any control over and it's the kind of thing that is so hard to fix like living in close proximity to another human being it's so easy to become annoyed by a host of little things that you then can't stand and that like eat you up inside but those are things like you know leaving your socks on the floor or something like that things that are less offensive than like the, the physical the physicality of the other person and i think like that is just so hard to hear and it's it's so difficult to watch her just like have it. I mean, with this body that he has just said is disgusting to him, she grabs him and tries not to let him leave. Yeah, so I have like a hypothesis about some of these lines because these are the these are the sorts of lines where it's shocking that there isn't more of a reaction, like that somebody doesn't just run out, you know, just be like, "Don't talk to me," like or that. hit him or something. Him. There's a there's a line, there's a parallel line after they have sex. Marianne's like, Yeah, I felt nothing. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> where it's like ma- you know, maximally hurtful the other way, right? Yeah. And uh and I so what my hypothesis about scenes is that these conversations are not exactly real conversations. They're like 
what conversations would be like if people had real conversations. Hmm. So they're like this, they're like the outer skin is taken off and people say things that they wouldn't otherwise say. And the only thing that makes that possible is that there's like a rule that you can't be like, how dare you say that? Because like, if they were going to be able to say that, they'd say it like every third sentence, you know? And yeah. it's almost like Berkman like created this <clears throat> world where you're not allowed to say, how dare you say that? Like, if you think of some horrible thing, you're just going to say it and the other person's just going to be like, okay, that's that's what you think. Like, I just got to deal with that. I, I just got to take it. And so that it's there's something unreal, almost fantastical about these conversations. And they're supposed to show us what hides underneath our ordinary conversations. Mm. Well, okay. I, mm, I really want to respond to that, but I first want to say you, you referred, I think a couple of times to the conversation that Marianne had with her client. And I think it would be super useful and also just interesting to me if you could say what, uh, what that conversation was and what about it that you found so striking. And then I'm going to respond to the thing you just said, because I disagree with you. Yeah. So, so, uh, so this is in the uh, yeah. second episode, right? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, uh, Marianne has this clan who's been married for, you know, many decades. And uh, she wanted a divorce 15 years earlier, but her husband um got her to agree that they wouldn't get a divorce until the kids left the house. And she's like, she doesn't have any problem with her husband. Like he's fine and he's nice and he doesn't cheat on her. And they each like inhabit their separate social worlds. And now I wish I could remember better, but she has this description of like what her life is like without love that like the objects around her are like falling apart. It's like, they don't feel real. Like she's touching the table and she says, I don't believe that this is real. I know it and I see it, but it doesn't, it's like, it's not touching me or something. Exactly. Exactly. And she also says like kind of shockingly, she's never loved any of her children. She says, um, I've never loved my children. I know that now. Right. And she, and she's, she's behaved well towards them. She's behaved like a good mother, but she, there's no love in her life. And, uh, that is getting to the point of like a dissociation with her material reality. Yeah. Right. So the way that I read that scene is that she has entered in, she's been forced into the kind of contract that Marianne has entered into willingly, which is that she's just going to cut herself off. Like, I know we disagree about this, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I think it's true. She's just going to squash the parts of herself that she knows will interfere with her duties as a mother, um, just smother them. And because, because this woman is doing it by force, because her husband has told her that she has to, whereas Marianne is doing it, like Marianne is the one who decided to do this. She was, she decided that she was going to live this way. Um, it's, it's affected this woman more than it's affected Marianne, but you see her watching, like listening to the, her, her client, but her, she's a divorce lawyer. It should be said, she's not a therapist. Um, but right. she has conversations with her clients quite frequently about the, uh, the reasons for the divorce. That's typical. Um, but you see her listening, and I think the thing that you're supposed to think is that she's terrified that this is also true of her, that she doesn't really yeah. love anyone. Yeah. yeah, but she it's both that she's terrified and that she sees this woman as a kind of monster. Yeah, and so maybe she's a, a monster. Yeah, but it's like she's just aghast. Like, 
you know, it's like a yeah, in horror, like it's a horror scene or something. Is or the something. next scene their lunch together, where she tries to I propose going away with him? Yes, I believe that's right. When they're in that like little restaurant cafe type thing, right? So that's the first time. Oh no, it's the, the second time that you get the feeling that he's hiding something from her. The first time is when she suddenly spontaneously decides to go to work with her with him, and he like reaches for the phone, I guess to try yeah. and call. Like you, he he he's freaked out that she wants to go to work with him, and you think, oh, he's hiding something. And then in the ne- in the scene after the scene with her client that we've just recounted. They go and have lunch together, and she's kind of spontaneously decided that they're going to go on a trip together because she feels like she's supposed to be putting more effort into the relationship or something, and he doesn't want to leave. And again, you think, like, oh, there's some reason why he doesn't want to leave. That's bad. (laughs) Um, Right. Yeah. Okay. So the thing you said before about, like, this is not how people really talk to each other. Um. I don't think that's true. I think that if things get bad enough, but both parties are still committed to being with each other, then it's kind of like the sky is the limit in terms of what you're allowed to say, because you have to say everything and you have to take everything because it's the only way that you can save the relationships. Like I've, I've had fights like this, not like, I mean, yeah, no, I've had fights like this where it's like you're you're saying everything, even if it's really, really painful, because it's like you have to hear this from me because you have to know the exact conditions that I'm living with so that like you understand the reality of this thing. And that's what I was also thinking when you were talking about your conversation with Arnold. You know, you can decide in a marriage that you're only going to tell the truth when it's into inc- when it's like incidentally useful to the relationship. But mm. I think if you're being realistic, I mean, unless you have a completely loveless relationship and it's just really, I think it's actually just really hard to have a completely loveless marriage. I think you end up being, you end up loving each other and then um, complications ensue. But if you have, if you have even like um, a basically loving marriage, you'll find that, you have to tell the truth. It's going to, it will be convenient more often than you'd think to be honest more often than than more often, often enough that it will become messy. Oh, so I think absolutely. I would acknowledge that, that for the most part, we mostly tell the truth to everybody. I mean, like, you know, it's lies are the exception, but Mm -hmm. the point is that like, um, that there would be, there would be nothing standing in the way in a case where it happened to be less convenient. Like it's clear that for Marianne and Johan, there's sort of nothing standing in the way of them lying to their alternate partners. in like in the last episode. Yeah, uh, totally. They're I, totally fine with it. I, I, I really don't think that what's going on through in episodes three through six is that they are having these intense conversations because they're trying to save the relationship. Because it's like, like with the Paula episode, like, from Paula onwards, like Johan, it's kind of settled that he's leaving her. And it's also kind of settled that they're always going to have a connection. Like both those things seem settled in a way. And I don't mean um, to save the marriage. I mean, I guess I did mean that for the before when I was talking, when I was talking about like the theoretical couple, but I mean, for them, it, it seems to me like the objective is always to be 
or at least after like in episodes five and six, the objective is to try to honor the integrity of whatever bond they have. And because of that, they owe each other a certain amount. That, I mean, that seems right to me. It's just like if I think about so, like you know, other movies that depict, like even like Marriage Story or something. You know that that yeah, yeah. movie. I did not like movies, that movie. Did you like that movie? I, I didn't like it at all. No, but I think that the kind of Im- the way in which emotional turbulence was depicted in that movie mm. is a bit more realistic than in scenes. That is, yeah, there isn't a lot of screaming in scenes. There's actually really a lot of talking, even oh in context. Yeah, incredibly emotionally, like agitated, and um, you know, there, there there's one scene of violence in episode five that is so shocking and so unsettling. And every single time I see it, I am surprised by how little, in some sense, how little literal violence there is, because I remember it as being such a cataclysmic thing to watch. And it is a cataclysmic thing to watch, but it's partly because the, you know, you have been like led up to that point. Like there's just been so much conversation that to see even what is not a very, um, by the standards of TV violence, a uh, large amount of TV violence and abuse. But to see that coming out of Johan is like, it's, it's, I find it actually hard to watch, like actually hard to keep my eyes on the screen. Yeah, me too. Um, and, 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 you know, I feel like in marriage story, it's not hard. It's like, yeah, of course he's like smashing the wall. Of course he's like screaming, you know, mm-hmm. that's just like part of the course of like what, what 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 their marriage is it's like there's this kind of screaming insults that's the thing they also don't really insult each other so on at least i don't have like screaming fights where i say things that i don't mean so but that but i think that i might just be somewhat unusual in that that is like my sense is that people do do that yeah (laughs) i say things i do mean (laughs) yeah they tend to mean them and they tend not really to be exaggerations either yeah yeah, like, well, I think, like, another... Good. No, I was just saying they're accurate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that's frustrating about the movie is that um, they they say the truth. It's just that for people who are emotionally illiterate, their reading of the truth is always going to be really imperfect. So it's not that, it's not that like, when... And that's what's so frustrating. Like they're they're trying to connect with each other, but I've I have this feeling so often. I have this one. I mean, not so often because I don't have fights like this very often. But I, I've like noticed it in my life, and it's like one of the more frustrating aspects of human life. I find when I have like an intense fight with somebody I love, it feels like like in the middle of the fight, everything just goes blank. Like I can't articulate well why it is that I'm upset. I know that I'm upset. And I really want to articulate well what it is that I'm upset about, but I can't because everything just, it, it feels like I'm focusing really, really hard on something and it's just, got, it's just disappeared. So, I, yeah, you know, that strikes me as very realistic. Like that's something I can recognize. And that does not happen in these episodes. Well, I think they they're say like things the- that are not completely true. They're partially true, but not completely, or they're not the whole truth. Like, um, I think that they think it's true while they're saying it. I'm sure that you have, but you've read like Anna Karenina or War and Peace. 
Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I I, I love about Tolstoy is, particularly in those two books, is that he'll, he'll have a character think something about themselves, and you read it, and you, I... And you read it and you think, okay, this thing is true about this person. And then, like the next page, it's completely not true. And they they like act as if it's completely not true. Like I don't remember the specifics, but Natasha will think, think something like, you know, I am the kind of person who will do X. Of course I will do X. And then turns out she doesn't do X. And it's mm. not because like Tolstoy forgot. It's because he's trying to communicate that she really just doesn't know herself. She thought that she did. She like this this seemed consistent with the image of herself that she understood her that she like had in her mind, but it just turned out that she was wrong. And so I think that like that happens so often when, when Johan says, I'm in love with Paula, I'm going to go and be with her. And I'm like done with you. I'm fed up with you. Um, he says, he said, I've wanted to be rid of you for four years. And yeah, then it, it's not that he was lying. He thought that was true and he was wrong. That strikes me as so human. I think that that's really true. That that's how people interact. But isn't it true that he wanted to be rid of her? It is true that he wanted to be rid of her. It's just also true that he didn't. He later didn't want to be rid of her, and that he, yeah. you know, right. Well, later he wanted her back, but that's different. Well, it means that he just didn't know. You know, it, like it's it's not that he he had an imperfect understanding of what it was that he wanted, and I think that that's how most people are most of the time. I mean, or another interpretation is he really did not want to live with her. And mm. like living with each other was killing them, right? It was kind of the only way they knew how to live with each other was in this routinized way. And at the end, they sort of recover their marriage and their ability to be intimate precisely by not living with each other. So you come away from it thinking, I, I come away from it thinking he made a mistake, but you don't. You mean he made a mistake in leaving her, in divorcing her, or in getting in meeting with her at the end? No, 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 in leaving her initially. Oh no, I don't think he made a mistake. Wow. Okay, I do. Fascinating. Um, I mean, I don't. I, it's not. I also don't like firmly think he didn't or something. That is, I think it's hard. I don't feel like I can play out the alternate realities. Like, I guess I think there's m many alternate realities and some of them are ones where he doesn't leave and their lives are worse than one which he did. Mm -hmm. And then some of them are ones where he doesn't leave and they sort of work things out. Yeah. Um, or, and, or something. Yeah. 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 Something. Right. Um, um, but like, you know, he says something like, this catastrophe is the chance of a lifetime. Yeah. Like, it's, like, it's an opportunity for him. Yeah. And I think he, that's sort of right. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, Marianne's speech in episode four, when she's like, I finally, like, discovered who I am and stuff, is kind of like saying, this is good for me. I, and it's not clear she would have done that otherwise. Yeah. No, it's totally not clear she would have done that otherwise. I mean, I think... But it's also not, it's not clear that she's better off. I know that we're supposed to think she is. I mean, Bergman has said that the movie is about her liberation. Um, and so, and I like, I mean, I believe that he meant that, but I also, did you know that Liv, Lee Volman has said that filming scenes from marriage felt to her like a documentary because it was just so much like their life together? Yeah, yeah, I had read that. And that's amazing. I mean, it, it does feel it has enough of the realism, I guess, of something based on real life. Like, um, like that, that's what being in a relationship with Bergman would be like. 
Yeah. 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 It, yeah. Right. And, 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 you know, I think he is almost um, like both caricaturing and downplaying his own arrogance by presenting it in the form of Johan. Mm-hmm. Like on the one hand, Johan is a bit of a, like, he's like this buffoon. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and in some ways probably more outwardly presenting as arrogant than Bergman did. On the other hand, mm-hmm. Bergman just thought he was God. I mean, of himself. Right. Yeah. So like Perhaps in some ways, uh, a lot more arrogant. Um, I, you know, hmm. I think I, I want to go back to the question of like squashing themselves because I think that the only evidence that we get, we we have evidence of Johann squashing himself. So, oh my goodness, Johann, what a thing to there's say. Johann, there's Johann's poetry, right, which he won't show Marianne. Uh-huh. Um, there's Johann like you know, frustrated sexual desires. Um, I think that the, 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 the sign of Mary, I mean, the, the, the most evident sign of Marianne squashing herself is her inability to not go to her parents that, you know, it's for the sake of her parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but like, if we just think, what is the evidence? Like, what do we see? There's the scene about the abortion, which, so at the end of episode one, um, Marianne tells Johan that she's pregnant. And so this is super weird. They decide to keep the baby. But then the next scene, we see her having had the abortion. In the, um, when you watch the next episode and it gives the summary of the previous episode, it says- Yeah, this was so weird. Sorry. They decided to have an abortion and then she had it. And so that's super weird. I can't tell whether it's just I thought it was error. a mistake. But those beginnings, I, I wanted to skip them. And then I realized that they give interpretations of this of the previous scenes that were like entirely different from mine. And so I thought that I had to watch them. I'm pretty sure that Berkman wrote those things. Did he? Okay, yeah, because that, that one was just so, just so weird. Just not right. Maybe he cut it's it. not right. They agreed. They, well, but like maybe we're supposed to think you know, well, the conversation went on and we didn't hear that part yeah. or I don't know. It's, it's very odd. So odd. Um, but that's a scene where she won't let herself get enthusiastic about the baby if he won't. And so that's, I would put that as some evidence of her squashing herself. That is, she sort of wanted that baby, but she wouldn't let herself want the baby unless he, and he would have been like, yeah, sure, let's keep the baby. But he just wasn't enthusiastic enough. It's like she couldn't muster up the enthusiasm unless he was, unless she heard more of it from him. So that could be sort of squashing herself, but it's almost her not being willing to let her her emotions and desires lead the day. Well, I, I mean, I have, I, I think, I think that the first scene is the, the, the most powerful evidence that she's quashing herself because like the whole scene where they're doing the interview and she's just like listening adoringly. Well, maybe we're just defining squashing differently. Um, mm. Because, you know, I, I mean, I definitely, I think, I think, you can define it in such a way that both of them are doing it. Johan is much more, um, he's the dominant force in the household, at least visibly in the beginning. Can we agree on that? 
Absolutely. And I think that, but I didn't get the sense that she wants anything else. No, I don't think, well, I don't think, I think she's been trained not to want anything else. And that's like the theme with the mother is when you learn where she, how she was conditioned to be this way. I think that actually like a lot of households are like this. Like the father is the one who, um, sets the tone, but the mother is the one, maybe this is just like an, the Orthodox families that I spent the most time with while I was growing up. But this is certainly the way that I remember, um, like seeing families behave when I was in a context like that. It was like the father would be the one like making, um, loud pronouncements and sort of calling the shots. But the mother was sort of controlling many of the things behind the scenes that actually manipulated the way that the family operated. Um, more than the man was now like i guess you can say she didn't want more visible power than that but that's kind of a thing that women are taught to say um and marianne definitely decides over the course of the series that that is what she wants she wants more visible power which i think was what yeah, bergman means when he says it's about her liberation hmm? he like he decides he wants less right that is, he gets sort of tempered in this way. Like, you could as well say that he's squashing himself by forcing to himself into the mold of, you know, the person who's going to answer the journalist's questions. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, draw. okay. You can, you can say he's, like, I think this is true. He's been forced to play the role of the um, arrogant snob, arrogant, arrogant forceful snob. Um and she's forced to play the role of the quiet, meek one. Yeah, that's a, that's that's certainly, I think, the case. Um, and there's stuff about him that's like, there's residual stuff that's left over that he can incorporate into that persona, like the poetry writing or the, you know. Well, I think ultimately what happens that's interesting for him is that he fails professionally and he wasn't prepared for that. Because, yes. like, as a man, he was taught that he was supposed to be this kind of heroic breadwinner. And I think that's probably true for a lot of men. They're they're taught to be they're, – they're expected to be alphas. And when they can't be, that can be an identity crisis they're unprepared for by society and, and by their families. And that's what happens to him. That's that's where we find him in, that, in the fifth scene right before the violent – episode in the office um he's just failed professionally in a way that he had never expected to before he's been humiliated yeah 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 yeah, yeah. There, there's a there's a um i think it's in the last episode she says he says like one of us discovered our greatness and the other discovered her greatness and the other discovered his mediocrity or something yeah it was like our liberation god i wrote it down uh I wrote it somewhere. I don't remember where it was, but yeah, it was like liberation was that one of us became heroic and the other one became a failure or something like that. And no, you're right. It was right. the word mediocre. And he, he, you know, for him, um, that was liberation in a oh. way was this failure that we've discovered yeah. ourselves. One faces up to his insignificance, the other to her greatness. <laughs> ah, yeah. Chills. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that's a good note to end on. Did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about? No, that's that does seem like a good note to end on. Okay, thank you so much, Agnes. This was great. Sure, thank you.
Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, just a housekeeping note, I am, again, the managing editor of Liberty's Journal. If you are not a subscriber to Liberty's Journal, but you did enjoy that conversation, then you should be a subscriber. So head over to libertiesjournal.com and correct that condition. Thank you.